Hello everyone, this is Zoe Midler, the producer and host of the Not A Rocking Chair Librarian podcast. This podcast showcases the changing role of K-12 librarians and the shifts taking place in the profession. Specifically, how librarians are creating modern library spaces, building responsive, diverse, and inclusive collections, and of late, navigating their roles as information professionals, literacy advocates, and guardians of intellectual freedom in an increasingly polarized and politicized society. This is episode 30. Book bans, easy targets. It's become an almost daily occurrence to read about some school district superintendent, administrator, or board of education announcing plans to remove titles from K-12 libraries or classroom libraries, completely ignoring established challenge policies and procedures, or a state legislator introducing a piece of legislation to ban specific titles or a list of titles. In October 2021, Texas Republican State Representative Matt Krause issued his now famous, or infamous, watch list of 850 titles. This list was issued in, conjunctions with, in conjunction with Texas House Bill 3979, quote, an anti-CRT bill that bans teaching any materials that could mean an individual should feel discomfort, guilt, anguish, or any other form of psychological distress on account of the individual's race or sex, unquote. Texas is not an outlier in this wave of book banning and librarian vilification. Other states have seen upticks in book challenges and outright book removals in Utah, Virginia, Wyoming, and Pennsylvania. Central York School District in Pennsylvania had implemented a freeze last fall on a list of books compiled by the Central York High School Diversity Committee. The so-called freeze list resulted in books being pulled from circulation until they could be further vetted by a curriculum committee. No reconsideration or challenge process was followed. Books were just simply removed from circulation. From Philadelphia Inquirer in December 2021, quote, the Bucks County School District sent a letter this month requiring educators to remove all library books with content referring to gender identity from the public shelves, saying these topics should always involve conversations between the student and a trusted adult. And this decision would ensure that our students are fully supported, unquote. Thankfully, in the Central York District, a coalition of parents and students successfully staged protests and demonstrations that resulted in a reversal of the ban. Public libraries are also experiencing calls for bans and outright removal. Just this past week, the Mississippi Free Press reported on Ridgeland, Mississippi Mayor Gene McGee's unilateral decision, quote, to withhold $110,000 in funding from Madison County Library System, allegedly on the basis of his personal religious beliefs with library officials stating that he has demanded that the system initiate a purge of LGBTQ plus books before his office releases the money, unquote. And of course, just since this pod was recorded, the graphic novel Mouse was banned as a Holocaust teaching tool by the McMinn County School Board in Tennessee. The board cited nudity, profanity, and violence for removing the book from the curriculum. Mouse is a Pulitzer Prize-winning graphic novel that uses humanoid animal characters to portray Nazis as cats and Jews as mice. To say that I've been a bit concerned with the wave of K-12 book challenges, book ban lists, outright removals, combined with teacher-librarian vilification and education gag orders sweeping across the country would be a huge understatement. If you follow me on Twitter, you know I'm horrified, saddened, incensed, shocked, depressed, and sometimes in complete disbelief, as I imagine many of us are. So to help me and my listeners understand the depth of the problem, the impacts censorship efforts will have on students and the profession, why is this happening now, and how we might combat what is clearly not some grassroots effort, but a highly organized and well-funded movement targeting public education, I reached out to librarians and literacy advocates in what I consider frontline states, Texas and Pennsylvania, to get their perspectives. Today I'm speaking with John Trichetti, Nancy Jo Lambert, and Kathy Furman. A little bit about each of my guests. John, aka Mr. T, <laughs> currently serves as the executive director of the Literacy Coalition of the Permian Basin, an organization committed to promoting the awareness of low literacy and illiteracy while providing access to family and adult literacy program programming. John served as the director of the Midland County Public Libraries from 2011 to 2019. He is a former Texas Librarian of the Year and is a past recipient of the Rosal Rosalind Redfern Library Benefactor Award. 
He served on the Texas Library Association's Blue Bonnet Award Selection Committee and was elected in 2018 to serve as the Midland Independent School District School Board Trustee for District 5. John is a TED Talk presenter as well on the social impacts of illiteracy. He's a frequent speaker and program presenter across the state on children's literacy and best practices on management and leadership. Nancy Joe is a Google for Education certified trainer and a public high school teacher librarian. She's a speaker advocating for libraries by telling the story of the learning happening in her library. She's been, a publish, she's been published in professional journals and won numerous awards and grants and was named Texas Computer and Education Association Library Media Specialist of the Year, the American Association of School Library and Social Media Superstar Curriculum Champion in 2019. She's co-founder of edupridealliance.org, hashtag teach pride and a freedom hashtag freedom organizer that's f-r-e-a-d-o-m organizer she's known for sharing her professional work on twitter at nancy joe lambert and her website nancyjolambert.com and i know many of you know who nancy joe is and so it's always odd to read her bio since so many of us have her in our personal learning networks for a darn good reason <laughs> Kathy Furman, Dr. Kathy Furman, is a high school librarian in the State College Area School District, State College, Pennsylvania. She's been a librarian for over 27 years and was a library department supervisor for 21 years in her former school district. She's currently an adjunct professor at Cutstown University in Pennsylvania and an instructor at McDaniel College in Maryland. Kathy is a past president of the Pennsylvania School Librarians Association. To follow my guests on social media and find links to other librarian and intellectual freedom advocates and organizations mentioned in this episode, visit the Not a Rocking Chair Librarian Resource Companion. It's a Wakelet collection. If you have a Wakelet account, just search for Not a Rocking Chair Librarian and the collection should pop right up. And you can always follow me on Twitter at ZMidler, at Z-M-I-D-L-E-R. Remember, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. John, Nancy Joe, and Kathy, let's do this. And what do you might be hearing from colleagues and peers and coworkers? And, and Nancy Joe, I'm going to start with you. You are currently a high school librarian, so you know you're very much. Uh, again, I hate to use the word front lines, but you're there. So I'm wondering <laughs> what, what is what it's been like for you. Um. Well, you know, there's been the, all of the struggles with COVID and the pandemic and all those things. And right now, you know, we're just trying to, you know, I feel like uh, the, it's a wonderful life when they're trying to keep the doors open during the um, stock market crash. I feel like that's what it's like at school, like, <laughs> who can we get to cover this class? You know, like, it's, it's just like, we got to stay open, you know, we got to stay open. Um, so, you know, that's what it's like sort of day to day right now. Um, and then, you know, just with all, any, any health issue that comes up with any of us teachers that are on campuses, it's like, well, they're, it's COVID or any other number of things, it's, um, it's, it's difficult to navigate that um, because we feel like we're, you know, abandoning the team. So mm. <laughs> it's kind of a problem. Um, but uh, the, the other piece of that right now too, is the, just the polarization and the, the fact that we have so many politicians trying to make schools and particularly right now, school libraries, these battlegrounds um for their you know for their um political endeavors whatever they are whether they're local state national it doesn't really seem to to matter um and so that has been very difficult to navigate as educators you know because we are still also private citizens you know we're part of the mm -hmm. you know <laughs> the engaged community of you know, voting and all those types of things, um, which we should be, I want to say you should, we, as educators, we should be, you know, civically engaged, but we're being, you know, painted right now in all kinds of ways that are just either inaccurate or not fair or, you know, just in general, making it really hard for us to continue to go back to our classrooms and our schools and our school libraries and continue working with students the way that we all know we're, we're supposed to be because of everything that's going on, you know, <laughs> outside of that. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a weird, super weird time. And I, I think that we are, 
we are witnessing what could be the start of the downfall of public education. So, and what about you, Kathy? Uh, well, I, I agree with everything that Nancy Joe said. Um, it is, it is, uh, you have to be in the trenches to really understand what's going on right now. Um, but especially as a school librarian, I think in Pennsylvania, um, it seems um, when Nancy Joe talks about it being political, our, our politics, for right, at least for right now, is more at the local level. Um, we, we have 500 school districts in Pennsylvania, which means we have 500 school boards and 500 superintendents. And so 500 different sets of school board policies. Um, and so that political is really at the grassroots um, with, um, we, we do have some national organizations that have infiltrated into or, or have local chapters um, that are banding together um, to try and remove books. Um, in one particular school district that, that I heard about, um, actually that particular uh, person who's trying to ban books actually wears a pin with the, ban, with the you know, the, the, actually the great library pin about not banning books because I think it has an X over the book. And I think that person thinks it's because they don't want books in the library, but it really is about banning books. Um, but so, so we have school and a lot of it's lying at politically at the school board member level. We have school board members who are posting on social media, you know, about, Hey, go here. Here's the catalog. Go look. Here's a list of books and link to another state list of books. Um, and this is what you should be looking for. And this is, and actually, you know, and, and I'm sure we can all attest to the fact that there's lists out there that tell you what page number and, and what particular passages they, you know, that they, that, you know, you should read at the school board meeting. Those are all being done at the local level, um, not necessarily at the more regional level. And so sometimes it hits the papers as, as I'm sure that, that we'll do a lot tonight. Sometimes it hits the papers. And sadly, sometimes it doesn't. Mm -hmm. It doesn't hit the news media and nobody knows about it. We don't really know. We don't, we don't really know how much censorship is, and banning of books is going on um, if we're not made aware of it. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's really tough as a school librarian to hear um, what's going on in, in other districts. It just hurts our heart. Mm -hmm. It hurts our school librarian heart. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about this idea of self-censorship, you know, the stuff that doesn't get reported to the ALA um, in a minute, but I'm, I'm glad you brought that up now because I think, you know, that is something we're going to talk about in a minute here. So, John, you know, um, you work with the Literacy Coalition of the Permian Basin, so, and I know you have an extensive professional and personal network, so I'm wondering what you're hearing and what's, what you're seeing. What's your perspective on this? Yeah, the ladies certainly hit the nail on the head. I mean, we're seeing the politicalization of, of book selection, you know, to be used for political gain. Um, you know, my background is as a, as a public library director, but I'm also happen to be an elected school board member. And so there's not, not very many librarians serving in that capacity. And so when these challenge books come uh, to the school district, you know, my stance tends to be, you know, very different than maybe some others, just given, you know, what I did professionally. Mm -hmm. I think that what you're seeing is just this and Nancy Joe said it right, polarization. I mean, there is the far left and the far right, and there's not any middle. And in an election year, you know, 2022, we are seeing that the right has really identified books and content of books and what is and isn't appropriate and should it should not be there as an as an issue as a political issue for you know local school board races, city councils, county commissioners. And even up to the state level, you know, Nancy and I, Nancy Joe and I are in Texas and we had one of the guys that's running um, for, for office send a very long extensive list to a number of school districts across. This is Representative Krause you're talking about, right? Yes. Wanting, yeah. wanting, wanting to know, are those books in your, you know, libraries were tax dollars used to, to get those libraries. And it just creates, uh, and, and Midland where I am is, was one of those districts that was selected. And so mm -hmm. um, it really shines a bright light on our profession 
but not in the way that you know we would like. We you know, we want we want to shine the light on the profession in, in the positive ways and not be second guessed about how what our collection development policy is and how things are selected and, and what books go where. So um, and you're seeing it in small, you know, our our my organization's service area is about 22 counties, roughly the size of the state of Indiana in West Texas. And we're seeing it in the metro areas, the very small rural areas. I mean, it, there is no stone that's going unturned when it comes to this kind of conversation. Mm-hmm. I know. I think that's one of the frustrations that for me, I mean, I'm frustrated about so many things. <laughs> about all of this, but one is that sort of caricature of librarians and librarianship and this sort of willy nilly way we go about collection development. I don't even know that the word collection development exists outside of our profession. It's just, oh, you buy books or you put books on shelves. And it's just, it's really frustrating for people not to understand the thought process and the work that goes into that and the awareness we need to have of our communities and our students and our curriculum. And, um, and that side has done a really good job at painting that caricature. And I know I want to talk about that a little later too, but you know, how do we combat that? You know, how do well, we I do think that this, that? that this converse with this issue has also brought to light is that you need, whether it's a school library, public library, whatever it may be, you need a good collection development policy in place. Mm-hmm. So you have something when these things come up that you have something to point to that has been adopted by the board of your taxing entity or whatever, you know, the head of the organization is so that there is an answer for those questions and you can send that back to them. You have a challenge, this is the process, these are the steps. Um, Because I think that oftentimes, at least in my experience, 12, 15 years as a public library director, I can count on one hand the number of times that a book challenge actually got to the level where you know, it was before the taxing entity, whether that's a city council or a school board or the library advisory board, whatever that case may be. And so oftentimes they're trying to get a quick, easy win. Mm-hmm. Let's let's splash it on social media and challenge these books. And then when they see that there is a process in place and that we are professionals and that we're not just willy nilly walking into Barnes and Noble and grabbing books off the shelf for for students or for our readers that, you know, it it challenges them in a way. And they don't they don't know that until they get into it, that there is this is a profession. There is a professional way to do this. And, you know, Nancy Joe's organization, the, the Freedom Fighters, has really brought that to light as well. Saying, mm-hmm. you know, this isn't this, you know, we're not shooting from the hip here, people. I mean, there is a, a process to this. And if you want to challenge that, this is the way you go about that. We're willing to have that conversation as long as it's a conversation and you're not casting dispersions from the other side of the fence. And, and I do worry about the challenge policies just being completely overridden. Um, just, I mean, I'm hearing, I'm, I'm reading a lot of articles, you know, especially in preparation for our conversation, where challenge policies are just being completely ignored. And I wonder if, if Kathy or, or Nancy Joe want to speak to, I mean, do you feel that that is enough to make the folks jump through the hoops they need to jump through? Or are school districts just saying, oh, we're just going to remove the books and make the decision later? Well, I'll jump, I'll jump in there, Zoe, because, um, you know, in Pennsylvania, like I said, there's 500 school districts. They all have board policies. Many of the policies, now board policy and challenge procedures are two different things. Procedures are one thing, policies are another. <clears throat> there's 500 sets of policies, but many of them are very similar because, you know, the, our Pennsylvania School Boards Association has recommended template. But I, I, I know what my board policy says. Um, as far as the selection and it, and luckily uh, the school district I'm in, um, in state college is very strong. It specifically says the school librarians are the professional certified, um, staff that will select the books, um, and then directs the superintendent to have a challenge procedure. But there are other policies that are just very loose and just says the superintendent's in charge for all the instructional materials. Hmm. Regardless of that. In many cases, what we're hearing is school districts aren't even following their own board policy um, as far as um, that. And they're not following the challenge procedures that they either have in place. Some of them might be older. It doesn't matter. They're not following any challenge procedure. And then we've got, uh, we, I, we have a school district that we heard about that they're not even waiting for a challenge, that the administrators are coming in and just taking the books from the 
and 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 Joe will uh, you, the, your list from Texas. We call it the 850 list. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yep. we call the 850 list everywhere else besides Texas. And they're just going in and taking them off the shelf and saying, we're going to review these. And they take it out of the hands of the school librarian, who is the professional, who is, uh, you know, the certified professional that has the expertise to have that neutral view of selection, um, as well as analyzing and reviewing material. Um, and they're just taking them off the shelves and then never returning them. And they're making the decisions outside of their own policy. I, I talked to a superintendent and asked a former superintendent and asked him um, what his stance was. Um, and he said, we need to tell the administrators, the superintendents and the principals, they need to follow their policies and their procedures. It works. It's there for a reason and follow those and rely on your educators and your professionals and your school librarians, because that's what the policy says. So, well, and uh, can y'all hear me? I just yeah, I'm yes. in trouble yes, with the microphone. Okay, so one of the things I want to say too is I want to back up because we're we're getting into the nitty gritty now of like you've got to follow your policy, you've got to follow your you know, um, which is all accurate and correct. But I think too, like what what what's happening is there they are attacking something within our collections that is a very easy target. So one of the things that a lot of people don't realize, because I'm having conversations with my neighbors, community members, you know, my own family members who are like, you know, what is going on in the school libraries, you know? And, you know, and my own husband asked me like, is there pornography in the school libraries when he saw a news story a few weeks ago? And I was like, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> seriously? Um, but what they're doing is, you know, young adult literature and kid lit for that matter have all come a very long ways from where, you know, from what, you know, even people that are in their, you know, 40s, 50s, but even people that are in their 30s, what was in a library, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, is very different from what's in libraries now. And the reason that is, is because we have come a long way as a society with, with the stories that we're telling and part of that or a huge part of that has been the push of school librarians saying we need we need more you know we need more authentic genuine stories to different representation other than you know sit het, cis het white christian people you know um we need we need the stories of the that represent the many many complex and unauthentic um, you know, identities of the students and the families and the, the community members that make up our school communities, because every, every, every school has, you know, these complex students coming from, you know, a very, you know, interwoven fabric of life. And so, we need those stories. So we've been advocating for those stories. We've been asking for those things. We've been asking of publishers and authors and illustrators to provide us with things that are more, you know, that are not just the same, the same things, but that are more um, authentic to the kids that are in our libraries. And so what we have now in 2022 is a very, we have, you know, probably more inclusive collections than we've ever had ever as school librarians because there's more available for us to do that with. Well, at a time when our collections are finally starting to be more representative of all of our students is also at a time when we're having all of this, you know, racial and other unrest in our country and all these things. And so we have some people who are feeling very uncomfortable with some of the things that are, you know, some of the identities that are now, you know, taking taking their rightful space out, you know, outside of marginalized communities and, and they're, and they're speaking up and, and, and there are a lot of people who, who, there are some people who don't like that and they don't like what's happening. And so they're pushing back through, you know, political means. Um, and so a lot of that is just natural human anger in, you know, people that I know here in my own community, but then politicians are harnessing that and being like, Oh, you know, 
instead of talking about, you know, voting rights and these things over here that are really complicated topics, let's just talk about, um, you know, the dirty, the dirty books that are in school libraries. And I'm saying dirty as if that's what they think they are, because they're different than the books that they probably haven't read, you know, <laughs> maybe they haven't read any books, but also they're, they're not reading, they're not reading young adult books and kid lit books either. So they're not seeing, they're not a part of the evolution of the storytelling that's now available in our school libraries. Well, I also think, I mean, I think a lot of these folks are seeing the books, like you said, the easy target books out of context of the larger, yes. the larger thing that you just talked about, which is our every librarian's wish to create responsive, inclusive, and diverse collections. Mm -hmm. And, you, and I mean, I, I mean, the minute you started to describe what the collections were like, you know, way back in the day, I thought, yeah, I would walk in the library and there were Laura Ingalls Wilder, there were Hardy Boys, <laughs> Nancy Drew. And maybe if I was lucky by the time I got to middle school or high school, I got a Judy Bloom book, but you know, the world is different today. The amount of content being created today is very different. And the number of people who see themselves as authors and have stories to tell is different, but you've led me into the next question perfectly. Why do you think this is happening now. <laughs> so you, Nancy Joe, you've given me your reason why you think this is happening now. Well, and I, and so I, I wanted to hear the other, the other folks what they think, but I also want to talk about, you know, is there anything specific that has contributed to this atmosphere of distrust and negativity and in some cases harassment? And I know we've talked about the politics of it, but is there something else happening that we're not seeing or we, we're not getting, or we're going to get it too late? <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I know, I know I already talked, but I do want to say in, you know, in answer to this question is that we're also one of the big things that, that are being attacked are LGBTQ identities mm -hmm. and books dealing with LGBTQ characters and their romantic stories and their sexual identities and their sexual activity and lack thereof. Um, and that we cannot as I am I am a queer person and we cannot you know look at these things without specifically saying those things because you know we I know because I work with high school kids every day and I know that we have a large population of you know of queer kids that attend my school and it's that way everywhere because and it's not that more kids are queer now than they were before it's that more kids are feeling more comfortable and and having the space and the awareness of lots of different identities to be who they are right now um and it is partially due to the the you know the just the society that we're in and for parents or anyone to think that you know a book in a school library is going to make a kid queer is you know they're they're off their rocker um because there our kids are getting this from everywhere they're getting it from tv movies you know all of the social media youtube tiktok snapchat like our kids are seeing all of this stuff they don't need to see it in a book but i will tell you that one of the best some of the best representation I have seen and information comes from the books in our libraries. So while they're getting a lot of weird stuff from some of these other places, I know they're getting good representation, good stories, and outlets that are healthy from school libraries. Mm -hmm. To specifically answer your question, I think that it's come up now because it's this perfect storm of, you know, political fire fodder the access to it because of the social media is just so much more prevalent a concerned citizen whether whether we believe that concern is genuine or not i mean they're it, it is it's real to them and so they're posting that on on social media on facebook and sharing it in it with the people in their circle who are probably like-minded and that just grows and grows and grows and so we've created this this petri dish of polarization where we're going to attack the things that that scare us or we don't believe are right or they're just there's no middle anymore there's no moderate to, to have a conversation and uh, like the four of us are having you know to say hey these are these are my concerns and this is why it's just you know you are on that side of the wall and i am on this side of the wall and and this is the issue and for right now for a lot of people it's the content of books, you know, in school and public libraries, specifically, you know, children's books. 
Right. Yeah, Jill, I was gonna, I, I, I was gonna say the same thing. It is a perfect storm. Um, with everything that you said um, of this all coming together in this petri dish, I, petri dish, I love it. Um, but I think too, I mean, I, I, and I'm not saying this is just because of the pandemic, but you know, when the pandemic happened and everybody was shut down, and all of a sudden we turned on our screens and all of our all of the, all of this community was watching education happening on our, on the screens. Mm. Um, and, and parents were, you know, looking over the shoulders of their, of their children, which, you know, would be a great thing because now they're involved in education, but then that polarization of, okay, we want to bring kids back to school. No, we can't open school. And so many, um, more polarization of going to the school board meetings and shouting and uh, being extremely, uh, you know, not very kind. Um, I've seen lots of school board meetings where people are just not kind to anybody, to the school board, to other people in the community. And, and all of this kept churning and churning and churning through the last 18 months, almost two years. And, and, and people are just feel it's okay to be able to put anything out there on social media. I've seen them say, well, this teacher just assigned this and, and, and then 20 other people comment on it. And I think, oh my gosh, like what, like have a conversation with the teacher. Why are you putting this out there? Um, and so I think this, this, this has just made it that much um, opening the door for people to be able to say, Hey, my, my child had this book. And did you see this book? And did you see this list from this other state? And let's all get all upset about it. Um, and let's get on a bandwagon about it. And let's storm the school board. And let's not ask questions. Let's not think about everybody else in my community. I'm only worried about, you know, what my what I want my child to read. Um, nobody wants to care about the rest of the community. They're everybody in the community. All the children in that school read those books. And so you you can decide what your child reads, but you can't make you should not be making the decision for every child. Um, in that school because, you know, they, they have the right to be able to read. Um, so I, I agree. It, it, it definitely is a perfect storm right now. Kathy said, Kathy said the one thing, like if, if you don't take anything else away, Kathy said it for me, the biggest issue I have is not a hundred percent, but for the most part, the same people that were, were shouting from the rooftops about how, you know, you're not going to vax my kid and you can't mandate, mandate masks. And, and, you know, how you feel about that is whatever. That's a personal choice. Those are the same people now trying to tell me <laughs> what my child can, can, can and can't read. Exactly. The people that didn't want me to tell their children whether they could be masked or vaccinated <laughs> are trying to tell everyone else's kids. What they, what they can and can't read. read. Yeah. Well, that is, that well is we, we, we could do like a whole that. session on the hypocrisy of the whole thing, right? So, but I do, I think this is interesting. Um, Nancy Joe, you said easy target, um, the collection, but listening to Kathy, I, I'm, I'm kind of reflecting on that and thinking the easy target is public education, period. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what I see. I see, a, and I agree with you, you know, uh, Kathy, a lot of parents were looking over shoulders and maybe they, they were for the first time kind of seeing what was happening and combined with their frustration that the school districts and our district leaders and our administrators weren't sort of the infallible people we thought they were, right? I mean, people right. were making decisions and they were trying to do the best they can. And let's be honest also about how little preparation in most school districts teachers ever received in the past 10 years to provide remote learning in a way that would have made everybody feel comfortable, right? I mean, this hasn't always been the highest priority. So all of these things, you know, combine, and I just think public education is the easy target now. I mean, to me, that's the way it feels. And all of the things you're saying are validating this new, this right. new hypothesis that I have about all of this. Um, okay, so I wanna move on to access. And um, it's a really, it's a sort of basic question and it seems pretty obvious, but maybe there's some things we haven't thought of. You know, what are the implications of this, of this book banning on the students? Um, and, you know, maybe beyond just the fact that um, I can't go in and find a book that reflects me or validates me or a story that resonates with me. I mean, what message is it sending, I guess, is what I'm thinking about. And, and what does it mean if they don't have access to the the diversity that that you know we once that we so 
we work so hard to provide them with. And and then I started. I don't think, want to sound dramatic, but I mean, it's the end of civilization. I mean, if <laughs> you don't have if you don't have access to information and resources, and are 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 creating an informed citizenry and electorate, then. I mean, that's where you, that's where it starts to come off the rails. I, we already have a struggle. So I can speak specifically because of what I do for a living with the Literacy Coalition. Texas is 48th out of 50 in the state when it comes to literacy rates across the board, pre-K readiness, K-12, and adult. In our area, more specifically, we're about 10 percentage points behind the state average. And so you start talking about you're affecting the the ability of your workforce, like workforce development. They can't they can drive the truck, but they can't read well enough to pass the exam. They can't read the exam well enough to apply for citizenship. They're certainly not registering to vote. I mean, it just devolves so quickly when you start talking about book banning and taking materials away from people. I want to point out really quick too. I don't know if you guys saw the, I don't know exactly. I wish I had, I feel bad not having this very specific detailed information. There was a Texas superintendent last night. Is it uh, grand something? Granberry. Yes. I'm very familiar with it with my freedom work. (laughs) Okay. So um, yes. And the freedom hashtag was all over this stuff yesterday, but Mm -hmm. um, basically he was, he, his response to this was, I mean, they were talking about banning books, but his response was we're not banning we're not banning all literature. We're not banning Shakespeare. We're not banning um, Hemingway. And so when we talk about book banning, we aren't talking. He, I mean, he's right in the sense that we're not, they're not going to pull every single book out of the library. But the books that they're going to take and the ones that we've seen them targeting, these easy targets, as Nancy Joe said, those are the ones, you know, those are the ones that worry me the most. Well, and this this was a quote from one of the kids who spoke at that Granberry meeting. Um, let's see. So it said, I'm not going to sit here. This was from a student mm-hmm. in Granberry ISD. I'm not going to sit here and talk about the slippery, slippery slope that book banning leads to because I learned from a book that I checked out from my school's library that I don't need to resort to logical fallacy to make a point. I'm simply going to say that no government and public school is an extension of government has ever banned books and banned information from its public and been remembered in history as the good guys. <laughs> He's I not mean, wrong. And the other thing about I think it was a girl, though, just so you know. Oh, sorry. It, 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 was, it was a girl. It was a girl. And you can yeah. watch her actually deliver that yeah. statement, which is super impactful. But, but I, I, I'll, go ahead, Nancy. I was going to I was just going to piggyback off of what what T said is that this this is this is what like that, you know, the people who are wanting to ban books. I'm like, you, you're so upset about Marxism and socialism and communism, but that's how you're acting right now, like banning books and information, because the other piece of this is there's not information or books in schools that for the most part hasn't been pretty thoroughly vetted, right? Occasionally a librarian might select a book that, you know, was reviewed by one publication for this grade and then it gets in the school and some kid brings it up and is like, I don't know about this book, you know, Miss Lammer, you know, and you're like, oh, let me look at it. And then you're like, oh, maybe this doesn't belong here. Right. So we we use our librarian judgment to that because the other thing is we don't read everything that's in the library. We don't, you know, I've not read every book in my library of 10,000 books. Scandals. I've not I've not read every article in the millions and millions of resources in our online resources, but we rely on companies, you know, to, to help us vet those resources. And then when things come up, we bring it to their attention. Like I did a, I did a high level review of some Gale resources recently. Like, so I know that everyone's doing the best they can. And sometimes mistakes are made. We're all human. That happens. But for the most part, there is not pornography. There's not obscenity. There are not things in our schools that our kids don't have the access to outside of school. That's 12 times as worse. But the things that are in our schools, the information, the books that are there are, have been placed there for the purpose of like, like T said, access to information. The libraries are there for voluntary voluntary reading. No child is ever going to be forced to read something from a school library or use something from a school resource. Are, are they suggested? Yes. Are those the suggested things? Yes. So do we, are, you know, obviously, you know, they're going to get some, in many cases, higher quality resources and reading materials in a school library than they will outside of that. But I don't know why we're mad about that. 
<laughs> and just to put a bow on on what that superintendent said, uh, we can move on. I know we have a lot of ground to cover. The, the irony being that he sits there and talks about we're not going to ban everything. Like we're not banning Shakespeare in the Bible. Have you read Shakespeare lately? <laughs> Romeo and Juliet or Hamlet or Macbeth? I mean, you know, the content there is just as bad or worse than a lot of the challenged books that are that are that people are bringing up. But there's this accepted Shakespeare is established English literature and I love Shakespeare but you know there's there's just this perception issue that like they were talking about earlier that it's the content really changed in the last 10 or 20 years mm -hmm. and so it's not as safe Shakespeare is deemed safe for some reason Hardy Boys Nancy Drury Laura Ingalls Wilder all those you mentioned <laughs> Hank Classics. the cow dog <laughs> hey, now listen listen don't you agree <laughs> I know things I know things so well, this, this is Kathy, and I, I think, you know, I'm just going to pipe in here for one second. I, I do, um, the, I think one of the biggest impact is the message that it does send to our students, our students um, of color, our students um, who are um, um, of another race or religion or LGQTB. I mean, what does it say to them when we say, oh, I'm sorry? This is obscene. I'm sorry. Does that mean, you know, like, what does it say to them? And, mm -hmm. and, and how, you know, it's, it's got to be tough for them to sit, to be able to even stand up and say, but I, those books, I need those books in my school library because they're me. Um, and, and just, you know, and some of the other titles that are, that are being targeted are, you know, titles about, you know, different events that happened in our history. Well, we, we don't want the kids to read about them because it might make them uncomfortable. It might make them feel guilty. Might, but so if they don't read about it, does that mean it didn't happen? Um, I mean, just because you don't have the conversation doesn't mean that didn't happen. Um, so, you know, for our students who, who maybe um, have been, you know, a victim of, of, of sexual assault or something like that. So, you know, by them not reading about it to help them through, to know that they're not alone, it doesn't, it doesn't make it not happen just if they don't read about it. Um, but it does help them and it, and, and it makes them feel validated. It makes them feel seen. They are seeing, we want our students to be seen and heard. Um, and and by, by, by trying to wipe it away at, from access of the school library, publicly yet to do, and say, no, this isn't valid. It makes them feel invalid. And that is the last thing we want to do. For, that's not what we're here for, um, for mm -hmm. our students. Or, or it labels what, who they are and, and what they're thinking. I mean, this, the superintendent said this most amazing thing. He was saying something, something, and he goes, in my opinion, this is obscene and vulgar. It's his opinion. And I just wonder, you know, what does the student hear in that statement? All they hear is maybe the vulgar or the pornography and the parent hears that. And I was just really horrified by the whole thing. And, and it's made me start to think like, what other things, uh, library services, events, or programs could be impacted or deemed inappropriate or run the risk of causing student discomfort? I mean, can, are they going to tell us soon that we can't bring in authors to speak or have a program where maybe somebody who was um, a, a victim of sexual abuse can't come in and share their story? I mean, we're, we're talking about muzzling a lot of different things in library, not just right. access to the books. Right. Well, Zoe, that, that, that the, the, the part about, you know, not having the conversation doesn't make it not happen, which actually came from a Pennsylvania author, Jamie Beth Cohen, who wrote a, a fiction novel about sexual assault. And that's why she wrote it, um, because she, she wanted to make sure, um, you know, that her, that fiction story, that, that students who have to go through that, you know, can have those conversations. So, well, yeah. and, and I had a lovely exchange with Lori Hulse Anderson a few weeks ago on Twitter um, because I was, I was as part of my freedom work, which by the way, if you're not following us, we're at freedom fighter, freedom fighters on Twitter and we're www.freedom, F R E A D O M.us. We have a website um, and we're constantly doing campaigns and actions. So one of our actions that we did was posting about books that had made a difference to us personally. And, um, and I put, some excerpts from Shout because that was a book having and being a survivor of rape and sexual assault that I am you know that book 
helped me heal. It, it's a lifelong journey for me of healing from those things, but that book helped me heal from that. And I know I have students because they've, they've come to me and talked about their incidences of, you know, sexual assault and, and harassment and things like that. And I know that we have students dealing with these, but to pretend that we don't have kids dealing with things and to wipe out the resources that can help them heal and feel validated and not so alone is just mind boggling to me. Why, why, you know, why would we want to do that? Well, I'm glad you brought up Lori Halsey Anderson because one of my favorite, I think things that I've ever read by her was speak. And I can't imagine speak not being available <laughs> in a library anymore. That would just be absolutely devastating. I think, um, I want to ask you, have you talked to anybody or maybe done this yourself? I can't imagine any of you have done it because I just don't think of you guys that way. But has there been any self-censorship? I mean, are librarians, have you spoken to anybody who's saying, look, I'm just not going to bring it in because I don't want to add to the collection. I don't want to get harassed. I don't want to, you know, get on the radar of anybody. Well, I'm going to jump in real quick, Zoe. Um, Two things. One is I I don't feel that way, but I think those of us on the call are probably here because um, we we wouldn't do that. I I think I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure that school librarians would probably shout it to the rooftops. I'm sure they're probably reading more reviews, Mm -hmm. um, you know, just to be cautious. Um, I just, you know, the, the tough part for me, unfortunately, is in Pennsylvania, and, and we can get to this later, you know, in, in your next part. But tough part for me is we we have lots of in Pennsylvania um, people that are in the libraries that are not certified, or they're not they they took a praxis test and they have not, don't have any background in collection development and 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 how to really balance a collection and make sure that you've got a diverse and inclusive collection. Um, and and so you know I'm not sure I'm sure that they're probably you know, if they're not um, certified school librarians, then maybe they're maybe they're just not. They're just going to say, "Okay, I'm going to go to the to the to whatever the the community tells me to do, and that's what I'm I'm going to purchase." So that's the sad part about it um, is that um, you know, is there a certified school librarian in that position? That's why we need them there, the professionals, um, because I just I I just don't know that many school librarians who don't take that that to heart that they have a diverse and inclusive collection no that's a really good point that i hadn't thought about about those folks who just don't have the training um to give them sort of the i don't know gravitas to say i'm going to bring it in because that's what i do that's who i am that's my job right yeah yeah certainly i don't think anyone on the call is censoring books when it comes to collection i will say anecdotally i did hear a story of a teacher that chose not to do a book that she would normally have done because she felt like the, it, it might bring some heat and not that she didn't have great pivots to move to and still, you know, accomplish whatever the, the goal was of the lessons, but that, that teachers, that English teachers, lit teachers, both in, you know, and I think this was an AP class. And so that's where the challenge becomes because a, a mom had a concern about, it was the bluest eye, Toni Morrison, mm. uh, very heavy, very, very, um, a lot of, you know, issues there to be dealt with. And so while you're in an AP class and that's a college level class, that's certainly college level material. They were still high school students. And so the the thought process was, you know, is this really something we want to take on when we can accomplish that teaching well, another piece of literature? And what you're speaking to, T, is the, the chilling effect. You know, I kept reading all these things and news stories about other things, about the, the CRT bills and that it was going to create a chilling effect on classrooms and even as an English teacher I'm like what do they mean by chilling but I I'm seeing it and now I completely like I have context to what they were saying like we have librarians now who are you know very quietly without telling anybody they there's a book that comes up on social media in their community or they see it on the news or whatever and they just quietly take it off the shelf Mm -hmm. take it out of the system put it in their office we have teachers who are like well, we used to teach this, but because of, you know, this thing that happened at the school board, we're going to teach something else because, and not that the something else isn't just as great, but we're seeing that 
immediate and the ripple effects the the chill that it's causing on educators in the classrooms and conversations that we would normally have with kids you know where we're helping to create critical thinkers and kids that ask questions and don't just you know roll with the first opinion that 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 comes their way we're seeing that chilling effect take place we're seeing that and when we're talking about the effect it has on kids you know the effect it's having on educators and school librarians is is funneling down to the kids and so they're not getting the same experiences they're not getting access to the same things that they would have a year ago um and who's to say that, you know, and everybody's like, oh, it's just for this moment, but who's to say that it's not going to get worse because we're seeing, it's like wave upon wave of, of more issues. Now they're, now they're writing bills where you can't even, you know, say that you're, that you're gay as an educator or anything about, you know, the LGBTQ community. There's the bill in Florida. We're having, you know, we're having politicians in Texas. We have our governor who put out his parental bill of rights. And I am, as a parent of two children who have come up through public school like I am a huge advocate of parents rights parents should have the right to know what their kids are being taught parents should have access to the curriculum parents should have access to the books their kids are reading and be able to say I don't want my kid to read this um, and I've never seen our school district not do that for parents but to promote it as if those things are not already written in to our Texas education code and into our local policies and and things for school districts is is nuts like that's already written in there what you're asking is for cameras in the classroom and you're asking for books to be banned because you disagree with one page or one paragraph or one sentence or one image from this thing you know and so that's the, the effect that all of these things are going to have long-term, we is yet to be seen. We're only seeing the immediate effects mm -hmm. of, of it, right? And the losing of, of access either through, you know, formal means of removing things or just that chilling soft censorship piece where people are just pulling things back or pulling things out or excluding things or not talking about this or not saying this because they're afraid. And educators right now have a lot to be afraid of, but this should not be one of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to give you a statistic here, which you've probably already heard. PEN America recently posted uh, this piece of information, 60 laws restricting teaching of CRT theory and other types, uh, other topics dubbed, quote, educational uh, gag orders mm -hmm. were, um, were introduced in 26 states in, mm -hmm. 21, in 2021. How can this not create a chilling effect? I mean, just, you know, just the weight of that, you know, these are pieces of legislation. These aren't um, policies at a school district level. These are, these are the politicians getting involved and there's something weighty about that. And, and I do think that you're right, uh, Nancy Joe. this is going to, this is just the tip of the iceberg. We, mm -hmm. we may not, we may not feel the real impact of this or see the implications of it for, for some time. Well, and I had, I had some kids who were just, uh, you know, uh, talking to me outside of school, not, not students in my school, but some, I, I have a high school child and a middle school child and the kids were talking about things and, and with some of their friends and they were talking about how, you know, some of the things that are happening right now and all this political stuff is just stuff they're going to be spending generations undoing in 10 or 20 <laughs> years. And I was like, oh my gosh, you all are so right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, another great segue for us to get to activism. <laughs> so thank you. Um, for somebody who's under the weather, you're doing great. <laughs> thanks, thanks. I appreciate it. And we got her riled up on a topic that she's passionate about. Oh, yes. Okay, um, so there was a recent article in The Guardian, and the title of the article was U.S. Conservatives Linked to Rich Donors Wage Campaign to Ban Books from Schools. We were just, contacted about that article. Yes, Carolyn Foote was um, definitely quoted in the article. Article. Mm -hmm. um, and I will just say that uh, the article reveals the effort to ban books isn't a grassroots movement of yeah. a few individuals getting involved at their school district level, yeah. but actually a highly organized and well-funded effort by groups including Moms for Liberty, Parents Defending Education, and No Left Turn in Education, plus a few others. Which are all with, funded by super dark yeah, money. Deep ties to, with, quote, deep ties to conservative money and influence, unquote. So when you look at how well organized this group is, don't for a minute think they're not. I mean, the article was incredibly um, interesting and I thought it was really great investigative reporting. Um, 
you know, when you look at how well organized these groups are, how they're even getting talking points for when they go to school board meetings, not to say LGBTQ books, they're supposed to talk about sex and pornography and vulgarity, um, obscenity. I mean, they're picking their, their, the vocabulary they're picking is highly, um, charged, um, but doesn't call out that easy target that, you know, we were talking about earlier. So I'm wondering who are our allies and how do we organize better? And I love, don't for a minute think I'm dissing the freedom fighters. I think it's great. I'm glad that this has happened. And this has felt so good to me to be able to look at those Twitter posts and know that they're out there, but beyond letter writing and t-shirts and tweets and Facebook groups, you know, what, how can we counter this? And, and do students have a role to play? I mean, I watch these kids, you know, I shouldn't say kids, I watch these students in Granbury ISD. And I was really, really, um, you know, I was so proud of them and, and they were very motivating to me. So do students have a role to play here? And when you think about what student activism has done over the past 50 years on, in any number of ways on, on all some of the big political topics of our time, I just feel like there's an opportunity to build a coalition here. So I'm wondering what you guys think of, you know, who those allies can be and how maybe we can be better organized. Well, if you don't think for one second that a student speaking at a school board meeting has more impact than, you know, a, a parent or something else, I mean, we're not, we're not paying attention. Obviously, mm-hmm. those that's going to resonate so much, so much better. Um, I, I thought it was interesting that you, you specifically said the word choice was charged and, and Nancy Joe and the Freedom Fighters actually have done a great job. They're very specific about those word choices because those don't have definitions. Some of the words that we would use that are very kind of uh, legalized and appropriate, you know, when things like obscenity, pornography, you know, some of that is judge is is very subjective. But Nancy Joe can speak to this better than I can. But some of those words have definition, and that's why they're intentionally not using those because it can't because it'll fit in that clean box and it doesn't work for their argument. They're mm-hmm. going to pick these things that are very on the fringe and in in sight, you know passion inside of people and, and really stir people up. So, um, you know, you have to unfortunately fight fire with fire and, and we have to stay, yeah, Twitter and Facebook and, and keeping engaged via social media is certainly important. And yes, making sure that your congressman and your state representative and your school board member knows who you are and knows your name because you're that engaged is equally important because I assure you that they know who those the other side of that is mm-hmm. and if you want to have the um you know validity for your side of the argument you know you can't just show up at the 11th hour and say bang the desk bang the desk and not have a relationship with those individuals mm-hmm. i i agree and one of the things that i do on my campus is i'm a volunteer deputy registrar which by the way texas education code states that every principal is um, by necessity of the law that was written uh, of volunteer deputy registrar and should ensure that all students upon turning eight, 18 get registered to vote. Mm-hmm. Very few, very few campuses in, um, you know, very, very few schools, I think, in Texas do what we do at my campus, but that's because I believe in civically engaged kids. And so I, today was one of the days where I do, we go about three times a year. We, um, find out all the, you know, we get a list of all the kids who have turned 18 and we register them to vote and we make sure that they get registered to vote. Um, and I think that, you know, the kids who, I had so many kids today as they were filling out their voter registration, they were like, I have to register to vote. When, when am I voting? What's the next thing to vote on? You know? And I'm <laughs> like, well, there's, there's going to be some elections this year. You should definitely look those up and get out and vote. And I was telling them about the, you know, the different elections that they would have the opportunity to vote in and, and, uh, you know, and I was like, yep, you do have to register to vote. You're not automatically registered to vote. Um, and, you know, and so I think one of the biggest things we can do is model civic engagement by getting out and voting and and voting in every election, not just the presidential elections, but in your municipal elections, your school board elections, your city council, you know, um, I have a meeting set up with my Texas House representative in a couple of weeks because he put out a letter about um, some books in a neighboring district. And I was like, as your constituent and an educator and a school librarian and a parent, (laughs) you know, who you know personally, dude, let's sit down and have a talk. Um, You know, so I scheduled, I have a, a, you know, a, a meeting with him scheduled so we can go, so I can talk to him because 
you know, like, like he said, they can't just hear from one side all the time and they have to hear from us regularly. And this is one thing that educators do very poorly is they're, they're afraid to be civically engaged because they're afraid they're going to get in trouble for being civically engaged. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, you can't get in trouble for being a good citizen and doing what, (laughs) what, what we're supposed to do, which is vote. Um, You can't get in trouble for, you know, attending, um, a debate between candidates, you know, local candidates, you can't, you can't get in trouble for these things. These things should be applauded. Um, So do them. Yes, do them. And educators need to be voting in their own best interest. We have got to get away from this idea of I'm this party or I'm that party, because as educators, there are people on both sides of the aisle that are the ideal candidates for us to vote for. And we need to know who they are and be willing to vote for them, no matter what political party they're a part of. Um, yeah, Kathy, and, uh, Kathy um, I, do, I want to make sure you respond here because I was thinking about the Central York Band. Oh, yes. So, yeah, in Pennsylvania's uh, Central York School District uh, back last fall um, actually uh, banned their teachers from a very long list of what they, and it was not actually part of the school library, but they banned the teachers from using a whole lot of material. Now, some of that material was in the school library and speaking with the former superintendent, um, who I know pretty well, um, I know the school librarians were, you know, extremely like, okay, what do we do? You know, it says they banned, you can't teach it in the classroom. Um, but those students and that community with their, with parents and students and community members just basically rose up and said, no, like we, we want to do that. And one thing I will point out um, and, and I strongly believe in, in, in the ecosystem of libraries. Um, and this was a great case of it because the public library um, in York County spoke up and said, okay, students, guess what? You want those books? We got them here, come get them. And, and they actually spoke out many times and said, we will not, you know, not at all um, be okay with the fact that you're banning and censoring uh, resources and material for students um, in the Central York School District. They did overturn it, which is amazing, mm-hmm. um, which was really great, they overturned it. But in another situation in Penridge, Penn's Ridge, which is still ongoing right now, Penridge School District, um, and I, I, I believe like there were some a couple authors who were actually tweeting about it. Uh, in Penridge, um, they're still trying to fight um, the censoring and I, I think that they actually did remove the material but they have uh, something called Penridge Rise Up, um, a community of people who are, uh, people from all over the place are donating money and books and they're opening up eight free the free little libraries and making sure they hit at all eight of the towns within Penridge School District to make sure that students have access to the material um, that were, was censored that is being censored off those shelves. Um, so that at least, least at least gets access, but you know, unfortunately that still is a barrier for some students um, who can't get to a free little library or can't get to a public library. Um, it still is a barrier for our students. So, I mean, I really think that, you know, we, we have to rely on students and parents, um, you know, to really make them understand what's going on when we say that we're censoring and banning books, that that we are really letting a few people make decisions for the whole community. Um, and in our school district, you know, as a, uh, it's myself and another high school librarian, we work with um, the, the diversity club um, has worked with us and we've met with them and have been talking to them to make sure like getting their ideas, like what are we missing? What what mirrors or windows or doors are don't we have in our collection? Our LGBTA plus club has met with us, you know, you know, keeping those lines of communication open with our students who we are trying to represent, you know, A to Z, every single student, um, but also their parents in the communities. But I think we have to come together as a profession as well. Mm -hmm. Um, We have to come together as librarians, regardless of whether it's a public librarian, school librarian, academic, it doesn't matter. We've got to come together because um, we have to stand strong in one voice um, that this is, it, it cannot cannot be a democratic society without free access to resources. I agree. I, you know, I've been thinking about that, like, you know, 
uh, kind of driving myself crazy. Like, how do you form a coalition that can counter this? And, you know, I hadn't thought about the public library aspect of it. And, and, and I shouldn't just limit it to public libraries. Like you said, the academic librarians, um, I, they're corporate librarians. I mean, they do a job too, that is, you know, making sure there's information and, and they do a lot of similar things. I'm just like, as a profession, can we come together and cross those lines and find a way to involve students in this process? You know, I, I had thought about little free libraries a long time ago, but again, it's, it's an access issue, right? Like I'll have them in my neighborhood, but how do I make sure they're everywhere else? It's, it's just, it's confounding <laughs> in well, some ways. It's school library. Every public school student has access. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I do know that there's a Northland student. I don't know if you guys knew about this. There's a Northland student association, which is North Kansas city schools. There's the central York band book club. There's, I don't know what's happening in Granbury I, uh, ISD. I don't know if they're organized. I know that uh, a gentleman by the name of Christopher Tackett has been the one posting all of the video of the students talking and um, obviously is really outspoken on this topic. I don't know if they're organized. I just know that this is what librarians do. We organize, we, <laughs> we curate, we, um, you know, bring information to people. And it just seems like such a natural thing to us for, for us to figure out a way to bring all of those different allies together. I know we'll get there, but I just wish it were like today. <laughs> well, and I, I can't help but think of that quote by um, Michael Moore. I really didn't realize, I really didn't realize the librarians were, you know, such a dangerous group. They're subversive. <laughs> you think they're just sitting there at the desk all quiet and everything. They're like plotting the revolution, man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's, that. the, that's the caricature I want, not the one that's being sold by other people right now. <laughs> well, and that's, that's what we're doing with Freedom Fighters. You know, yeah. we, the four, there were, there's four of us and, and we were just sitting, we were, you know, watching some of this go down with the Krauss list. And we were like, no, we cannot sit idly by and, and, and hope that things, you know, hope that the truth comes out about us and what we're doing as school librarians. So that's, that's, that's the biggest reason why we're, we're doing what we're doing because we're not trying to plot a revolution. We're just trying to, you know, <laughs> we're just trying to make sure that students, get to maintain their right to access to information. You're trying to maintain civilization and stay <laughs> off the revolution. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Hey, I, just... I wear, I wear my t-shirt to the grocery store, hoping someone will stop and ask me <laughs> what is I support freedom about? So I can have that conversation with them. I mean, that is subversive, but yeah. I'm, I'm almost going to just like, just go there and walk around, not even to shop anymore, just to see if somebody will ask me about that. Because yeah. I, I mean, it, that it's that kind of, that to me feels grassroots. The other stuff that's being done it just feels organized and, you know. Um, well, in, in, in my in my bunker where I am hoarding nuclear weapons and preparing for <laughs> said revolution with my freedom shirt on, you know, that's. <laughs> okay, well, I'll make sure that I take that down in my bunker, too. Yeah. <laughs> that didn't come with the instructions for the teacher. Vienna sausages and canned goods. <laughs> um, uh Okay, this has been an awesome conversation, and um, I have 50 more questions, but we're not going to do that. Um, I know some of you are a little under the weather, and it's getting late. I mean, Kathy, it's almost like 8 o'clock your time, right, or uh, later? It's 8.15. <laughs> it's been a long day. So um, I want to thank you all. I really appreciate this. Um, you've given me much to think about. I know that you'll give the listeners a lot to think about, and please rest assured that I will be putting a lot of the resources we talked about into the um, uh, the Wakelet uh, show resources list that I put together, including lots of information about the Freedom Fighters. So I'll make sure that's all in there too, Nancy Joe. Um, so thank you all. And um, I hope maybe we can get back together at some point in the future and um, society still is intact and, and librarians have been the subversive <laughs> people that we are. <laughs> it was a great time, ladies. Appreciate all well, of that. Yeah, thank you. But thank all three of you for, you know, Zoe for arranging this and, and T and Kathy for being, being a part of it. So it was a lot of fun. Thanks so much. Thanks. Okay.